Welcome to Politics what? Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Good morning, Houston. Good morning, Harris County. Good morning to the great state of Texas. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Of course, good morning to the United States of America. Good morning to the entire world world and to every corner that our 100,000 watt transmitter is getting to. Well, you know, folks, and of course, good morning to every little corner on the internet as well. Before we get started, let's go on and have a great visit with our geniuses in the studio. Senor Howard, how are you doing this morning, sir? Well, I came back. I, I am here now. You were missed. Harry. Who uh, played the Peter White for? That's uh, Caravan of Dreams. Harry's one of his favorite songs. He loves Peter White, and so do I. And good morning to Brisbane, Australia. Why the heck not? <laughs> Why not? Why not, man? Jack, what you got? You got some. You got a whole page of wisdom here. Ah, uh, it's just a couple little short things. I'm gonna wise up our audience here. Yeah, we'll they, spread they, some they propaganda here. Oh, sure. Yeah, I heard somebody call you a propagandist. You know, I love it. How yeah. dare they? I, he is honored. I'm just a stoner with a pen. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you got, man? Okay. War. War equals greed and exploitation. War equals resource extraction by force. War equals women, men giving their lives to kill so some fat cat tycoon can profit. War equals death of the innocent. War equals broken dreams, broken bodies, and broken hearts. War is a waste of taxpayer money. War equals profit and desolation. War equals emptiness. War destroys hope. Waging war for profit should be abolished. We're almost 250 years old, America, and big business should not be allowed to send us to war so the corporate elites can profit from death. War equals big business. Mm -hmm. It certainly does. Munitions companies, they just love it. Like, oh, yeah, buy, buy some more bombs from us so you can go kill some people. Slime. Slime. Grinches. Yeah, absolutely. Warmongers. War. <gasps> what you is nailed it? it. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Now you well, nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. You know, um, uh, if people just understood how our economic system all works with war, with layoffs, etc. But, you know, we have a great guest today. I did the interview. This guy was so um magnanimous he was at a at a conference or or, or, or meeting in uh south south uh southwest texas uh there on the border and you know we set up this interview and we did it from his car at nine last night you're gonna love this guy it's a long interview but it's one of the most important interview for all texans i want you guys to listen to this let's get busy one time. 
Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radomic. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us again. As you know, the railroad commissioner in the state of Texas does more than railroads. It does a lot. And we're going to talk to a special person that knows about that. He's running for railroad commissioner. Bill Birch's career experience in the energy industry has been marked by notable achievements and a commitment to responsible practices. He worked uh, his work at Deepwater Horizon Tragedy, where he played a crucial role in managing and mitigating the environmental impact of oil spills, showcases his expertise in crisis management and environmental restoration. Through his efforts, he effectively coordinated response efforts and minimized the damage caused by these incidents. The first-hand experience has given him a deep understanding of the importance of responsible energy practices and the need for strong regulation to protect the Texas environment for all Texans. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Bill Birch, how are you doing today? I am fabulous. Thank you, sir, for the invite. And uh, I truly appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit you for here from uh, Cameron County, Texas, down at the uh, Brownsville-McAllen area. Well, it's interesting because you are out there uh, and you had a very good time with some other folks that are running uh, candidates as well. Tell us a little bit about that before we get into what we're doing. Tell me the, yeah. what, what, what are you feeling in the field out there? So the primary, of course, uh, right now being a Democratic primary, there's lots of folks running and some races are really tight and contested. And some are, uh, you know, candidates that are looking for uh, extension of their term. Uh, we had a couple of congressional candidates here this evening. Uh, we also had a lot of sheriffs and people running for the various House district positions. Um, you know, it's it's always amazing being a statewide candidate and going to all 254 counties in the state of Texas to see all of the counties and all the process, you know, really, truly how the sausage is made from not only the state level, but even from the local levels. And uh, it's so amazing. Excuse Wait. me. So place like Cameron County, you know, is really remarkable because they're on the border. They deal with a lot of issues here in terms of uh, politics and a lot of issues with perception of things being on a border. And, you know, the community here was really active, which was, I think, my favorite part of the whole evening was the fact that there were so many candidates, but there was so many people that came out. You know, we go to a lot of these big events and we do, you know, we, we did one in Harris County the other night and uh, there was like 120 candidates and maybe 30 people that showed up. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and the candidates outgrossed the actual voting population. And yeah, it was good to hear everybody else and see everybody and see a lot of friends. But it was really amazing tonight. Like tonight was really an opportunity for the general public to come in and meet and greet your elected officials and your state candidates who want to run and your local candidates. It was awesome. Well, I mean, that's going to be important because uh, you're running for the railroad commission as a Democrat, a very hard thing to do as a statewide candidate, not because Texas is a red state, but because Texas is a non-voting state. So they're going, you're going to have to do not only you, but all our national candidates and the district candidates are going to have to work hard to really let the base know that there's a reason to come out and vote. And uh, later on in our discussion, we're going to talk about some reasons why we need competent leadership in the Railroad uh, Commission. But first of all, I think what our audience would like to know is tell me a little bit about all that being a railroad commission, uh, leading the Railroad Commission. What is it all about in Texas? What do you do? What's the purpose of this? It's not just railroads. 
That's right. And it's actually probably the worst name agency in the state of Texas, besides probably being the worst run agency. Uh, the Railroad Commission realistically man- does not manage the railroads. So it's a historic name since 1891. It's the oldest agency in the state of Texas. And it was created at the time by Mr. Hogg to basically provide regulation and oversight on how the rail railroad industry worked. It's evolved into because originally when we discovered oil and gas and we moved product via oil and gas uh, in barrels, we moved it on the rail system. So the agency ended up taking over the commerce side of transportation. In 2005, the agency, the Texas Rail Commission gave all of the responsibilities for all of the railroad side of it to TxDOT. So we actually don't manage and have anything to do with the railroad industry. I didn't realize that. So TxDOT is actually handling the actual yes, rails now and the connectors. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah, the Rail Commission has nothing to do with the actual railroad industry. It actually is only to do with the oil and gas industry and our legacy of our uranium mines and our lignite coal mines that we still have in the state of Texas. And so it also has, because of the oil and gas side, it also regulates the entire pipeline industry, of which we have 330,000 miles of pipelines installed in the state of Texas. Wow. But anyhow, so um, so in effect, you are managing minerals in this state, uh, hydrocarbons, and other yep. and uh, and otherwise, and that is something that has yep. to be done. It, it, well, one would expect it to be done in an environmentally safe um, region. Now, you know, this morning. So, so my- let me throw in. Let me throw in one thing on that real quick, because you're you're yes. exactly spot on. So. That is the core issue of the fact that the name change needs to happen to really reflect of what the agency is, right? So it's really the natural energy resources and the safe distribution to market via the pipeline systems. And one of the problems that we have is that the general public, not knowing what it is, gets away with the agency has a very low environmental standard stewardship bar, and it has gotten away with murder in essence for the fact that people actually don't really know what it does. And that is part of this huge problem with transparency with the Texas Rail Commission. Is there any effort right now to rename the, uh, the, the agency? There has been two efforts that have happened in the last 10 years. Both have been shot down by Senator Tom Craddock, whose personal pet mission is to maintain the oldest agency's name um, as is. And uh, it really does need to evolve. The, the idea of keeping this obscure for the general public's purpose. And when I go, you know, you campaign and people say, well, what, what does a Texas Rail Commissioner do? Their first assumption is exactly as the name says, oh, you must regulate the railroad industry. Yeah, no, we, we have nothing to do with the railroad industry. So this, this really is something that does need to fundamentally change. And uh, it's well over, way overdue. Well, you know, one of the uh, reasons that I, that it is so important that we have, first of all, I, I'm glad to know that you're a petroleum engineer, I think. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer, so we can actually talk a little bit about the stuff that's happening in Stockton, not only in a way that our audience can understand, but also from a technical point of view, what the hell are we going to do about it? So let's go ahead and get started because um, there, you know, people may just look at this as another agency and not see the importance of having somebody that knows about the environment, and that knows the science of protecting the environment. And for the average Americans, average Texan out there, let's go to Stockton, uh, Texas, in the in the West Texas area, where uh, a whole lot of fracking occurred. And I imagine, uh, well, not only fracking, but uh, uh, some uh, wells that's been used. I think they call them injection wells to store old, uh, old, f- f- likely fracking fluid and all these other types mm-hmm. of 
um, liquids out there. What we were finding now is that it is starting to pollute several ranches and areas in this uh, part of town. Tell me a little about what would you do about these types of problems? So you're exactly right. So, you know, what people don't realize, again, because of lack of transparency, the Texas Road Commission, the industry has an awful record of spills, blowouts, fatalities, injuries that occurs. And one of them in particular that really did not get a lot of media coverage uh, initially until a little bit later on was what happened in June of 2021 when the first zombie well, the well that was old, plugged, thought to be put away correctly, we shouldn't have to redeal with it and, and uh, shouldn't be flowing again, came back to life. And it was flowing this radioactive, toxic, uh, produced water at surface and flowing into the groundwater. Um, what's remarkable about this and what people, I think... Uh, Where was this? Don't, this was actually just outside of Monahans, Texas. So okay. kind of I-20, a little bit west of Odessa. Gotcha. So what was really interesting about um, oil and gas production when we go back, let's say, 60 years ago, the Railroad Commission never really witnessed, didn't verify, didn't validate any of the old wells when they were plugged. And it's not that that was a hidden secret in the oil and gas industry. I mean, we've known about this problem for a long time. But what's happened is that as we've gone into these new shale wells that we've drilled and developed, uh, especially in the Permian, Every barrel of oil that comes out of the ground, we get six to seven, eight, nine, ten barrels of water that comes with it. And remember, there's 42 gallons per barrel. Mm -hmm. So we get this massive volume of water in our daily production. Well, as we've drilled more and more and more shale oil wells, and we've increased the production of oil out of the Permian, we've also increased the rate of water. And this water, unfortunately, unlike the traditional wells where we put the water back into the same reservoir, we took it out. I'm thinking about kind of like a balloon. I take a little bit of oil out and then I put the water back in and then I have to add up a little bit more water to get back to my original condition. This stuff I can't re-inject back into the same, same zone I produce from. So I have to find someplace else to put the water. Well, we filled up everything we basically have. So we drilled more wells. And we put more water in the ground and we drill more wells and we put more water ground. We are now handling in the state of Texas, 24 million barrels of toxic radioactive isotope water a day. And what's ironic about this problem is that New Mexico solved their problem by shipping it to Texas. Oklahoma has solved some of their problem by shipping it to Texas. And Louisiana is now dumping their problem in East Texas. So we are also now becoming the toxic dumping grounds for three other states. Uh, in terms of how they're trying to manage their problems. So we have gotten to a point now where everything is so full, we've started to overpressurize things, and now it's created this zombie well problem. So let me, let me where, ask you this now from an engineering standpoint. When, sure. you are, when you create an injection well, in other words, you didn't take any oil out of there. You just drill very, very deep into the rock and expect that oil to be into some porous layer of the rock, I imagine. And the only mm -hmm. way that can occur is for there, uh, unless there are some interstitials there, is for there to be actual uh, pressurized... Uh, I imagine to pressurize it to, to, to in effect, in, institute some sort of a fracking within the uh, the the, the right. substructure. Isn't so that supposed to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so they're they're supposed to maintain that the injection pressure is less than the ability to break the rock on these injection wells. They're supposed to, right. and that's also part of the problem is that a lot of operators 
um, don't really have very good operating practices and standards. And the Railroad Commission, of course, being grossly understaffed, um, people are basically left to self-regulate. So what they report versus what they actually do oftentimes don't really match the reality. The, the idea that the industry can be self-regulated um, with no oversight is not a benefit to anybody in the industry or the reputation or the long-term environmental impacts. And now we're starting to see the consequence. So the old problem from 1950, 1960 hadn't gone away. We had all these old wells, poorly plugged, poorly constructed, lots of different leak paths, lots of different corrosion. Um, again, long time in the earth as well. Then all of a sudden we created this water problem over the last decade, which now the water is trying to find passive lease resistance any way it can. Well, the most likely path of least resistance is the shallower zones, well, yeah. which means which means now it's coming out of surface, it's flowing into the groundwater. And for the longest time, the Railroad Commission has been in full denial of the risk and the issues of it, saying that, well, this isn't our problem. You know, it's these these are you know, this, these are over-concerned citizens who are making a mountain out of an anthill. And the reality is now that we have our first proven groundwater contamination case that occurred on December 7th of 2023 in Crane County. Um, the Railroad is Commission that near Stockton? Along. Yeah, so it's a little bit north of Fort Stockton. It's, uh, it's just outside a place called Grand Falls, Texas. Right. Um, and it's just off of FM 329. It broached to surface. It's flowing through the groundwater from 600 feet to surface. And it's going through three different zones of freshwater, uh, permanently destroying the freshwater. So let me and ask you, are there you is no that, fix. That freshwater is in layers or is it one? There's whole? three layers. Oh, there's three oh, layers. Right. Three layers there's, of there's freshwater. This, there's the surface layer called the, the Pecos Valluvium uh, uh, Valley Alluvium PVA. That's kind of the leached water. When it rains, it kind of settles right. into the ground. That exists like 50, 60, 70 feet deep to maybe 100 foot deep tops. Mm-hmm. And then below that, there's a contained layer, 250 feet to maybe like 280 feet. And it's called the Santa Rosa. Some geologists have different names for it, but this is water. zone. That's where most people, most of the ranchers drill their water wells into. And they pull from that reservoir, that aquifer for their fresh water uses. And then the deeper one is the one that we've identified. It's called the Rustler. It's the future of our groundwater. Now, it's slightly salty. It's not as fresh as uh, fresh water, but it's not as salty. We call it brackish water. Mm -hmm. It's not as salty as seawater, but it's not really totally usable today. But we've identified it in the 1960s, and it's a a protected groundwater resource that we have to isolate and make sure it's there for future uses. Because you can actually reverse osmosis out, uh, the the salts out of it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's the idea was even in the sixties that eventually desalinization will be used to maintain this water supply side for the future. So it's been identified. It's all over West Texas. Um, But the problem is that in this circumstance, not only is the rustler, blowing out and getting this toxic radioactive isotope water into it. And again, we don't know how, we don't know where it's coming from. And there's a million wells literally in that area. We don't know uh, where the flow paths are actually truly coming from. And all the efforts to get the Railroad Commission to try to do the diagnostics, uh, they refuse to they refuse to uh, do any diagnostic work and try to do any determinations. Um, and, and how the Railroad Commission dealt with this problem is that when the first drone was flown over the location, actually seeing the size and extent of the spill, the flow at surface, they called the FAA and filed a no-fly zone to prevent any public exposure further on this issue. 
And they've extended this now till June 8th of 2024 um, to try to maintain, quote, quote, the risk for aviation flight. But there's no risk. It's flowing toxic radioactive water at surface through the groundwater. There is no hydrocarbon. The groundwater is not shooting 3,000 feet into the air and potential impact to an airplane, right? This is legitimately the government agency trying to prevent public disclosure of the issues on the actual incident. And, you know, and this is the other thing is the emergency responder, right? So I I was part of the, as you said earlier, I was part of the emergency response for the Deepwater Horizon. I saw all the changes that happened after the Deepwater Horizon. And one of the things about it is that we have a national, we have a, what's called NIMS, the National Incident Management System. And NIMS is a federally compliant system that's supposed to be a, how you manage incident response, right? And you're supposed to have an incident commander and hierarchical structure and an organizational team and a logistics team and a finance team and an operational section team. And what's amazing to me is that the Rare Commission, the state of Texas is required for compliance to be NIMS compliant with the federal regulations. And yet the Texas Rail Commission doesn't give a damn about actually doing ICS or emergency incident management structure and systems um, based on our own federal standards. They're like, well, well, we do, we've always done it this way. Why do we have to comply with the federal rules and government? So if they were compliant and they were truly reporting this, we would all have an operational report every 24 hours, public disclosure of what's actually happening on the location, how much money they've spent and what's their next 24 hour operational plan. That's all part of the reason why we have an emergency response system for public disclosure. So people know the transparency of it. And yet here's our Texas Railroad Commission, the agency responsible for protecting the oil and gas community and also making sure that the general public is safe in operations, completely uh, refusing to be honest and transparent with the general public as to the severity of the incident. Bill, that, you know, it, it first of all, true. Now, there are two parts to this. We have the engineering part, which I love the most, which we just kind of talked yeah. about as what's going on. But unfortunately, most of those people in West Texas, most of the people yep. in Houston, most of the people in Fort Worth and all these places, all they're going to hear out of you is, you know, uh, we hate regulation and it needs to regulate. Now, I think uh, this what's occurring, the pictures that I can see right now that your dr the drone that uh, I don't remember the name of the woman's flying over mm -hmm. uh, over near Fort Stockton and all these places, it shows a disaster on top of the surface. Yes, More sir. importantly, it doesn't show the disaster beneath the surface and the explosion right. of having hundreds of thousands of entry points wells around West Texas that is there to pollute the entire mm -hmm. water system of every single person. And some of the, um, the, some of the news report we've heard of people having cancer, which likely said there, I mean, uh, there have been breaches, it, you know, mm -hmm. that we hadn't known about into the groundwater yep. for quite some time now. It seems to me and, and help me out here. How are you going to change the message in such a manner that you show that these regulations are for the safety of Texans, number one, mm -hmm. will not destroy Texans financially, number two, and mm -hmm. also will not destroy the economy at large. I mean, it seems to me like none of that should be mutually exclusive, but your, your competitor will likely try to make it that way. 
how are you going to get around that? And how are you going to make it existential for Texans to elect you to save their lives? Yep. And that's that you're exactly right, because the traditional message is that every Democrat is anti-fossil fuel and that uh, you're only out to destroy the oil and gas community. And, you know, they they I have to admit, they've been somewhat successful on, you know, not necessarily always having a candidate with a technical background and ability to counter their narrative. In this situation, the, the needs of water is one of the true fundamental capacities. And anybody who lives in West Texas knows that water is not plentiful. And the water that we have there is is hard. It, it, it's difficult to access. It's limited supply. And the fact that we have now the proven cases of what it's going to take, um, this is not fixable. This is not a cleanable situation. This is permanent destruction of our groundwater. To folks in East Texas, the folks in Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, even the Valley here, people understand the importance of water. Ranchers understand it. Farmers understand it. People want to be able to trust that their tap water that they turn on is clean enough for them to use. And, you know, in the case of Midland, which is, uh, you know, longtime oil and gas capital of West Texas, they just recently tested their groundwater supply side. And sure enough, lo and behold, there's now arsenic in the groundwater, right? So... The reality of the health concerns of the citizens and the fact that I hate to say this, but the Republican administrations have have lowered the environmental stewardship bar so low in the essence that people corporations can profit and they can maintain these extraordinarily low requirements for social responsibility of being good citizens to the citizens of Texas. We need to hold them accountable. And it's not about destroying the economy. It's about the future of our kids and our grandkids. And the ability to feed, you know, water cattle and be able to use this water for irrigation on our corn or in our corn and our soy and our hay. The, the, the idea that groundwater, and again, look, I get it. People are, some people live in the city and they're like, well, I don't care where the water comes from. The city treats it. Yes. But not everybody in Texas lives on an urban water supply. And we have to respect the fact that our urban water supply has evaporation and we have to get makeup water and we have to continue to add water to our system from leaks and failed pipes and everything else. So the idea that our groundwater is being destroyed and, and you know, look, the oil and gas industry did not intentionally cause the situation. The issue was caused because the Texas Railroad Commission failed to implement the laws and regulate the industry correctly. Now, should the industry have done more intentionally to try to prevent the situation from occurring? Sure. And some of the bigger operators who have a real social responsibility have done good jobs. The problem is that not everybody operates with the same standard and threshold. And this idea of lowering the bar lower and lower and lower so that smaller operators can somehow skirt the environmental responsibilities and responsibilities to their citizens is the wrong approach. We need to increase the bar and then find ways for operators who can't financially support or make those requirements, give them loans and programs and incentives to be able to increase the quality of their operations. This idea that that we are going to destroy the fossil fuel industry in the state of Texas is ludicrous. Our society would not exist without oil and the long chain hydrocarbons that makes the paints, the plastics, the pharmaceuticals. You know, can we decarbonize our residential and commercial infrastructure. Sure. Absolutely. We can run wind and solar and geothermal and nuclear, uh, and we can, we can decarbonize a lot of that. Can we decarbonize our transportation sector? 
Yeah, to a degree. I'm not particularly going to looking forward to getting on an electric airplane and I'm not sure my, you know, farm tractor back in Livingston is going to work on a battery. Um, so, you know, there may be some things like transportation and cars and personal transportation we can decarbonize, but I don't think it's realistic in terms of right now. And that might take maybe a century. You know, I was, I didn't even want to take the conversation into that <laughs> no, because the railroad commission, that's not what it does. I mean, you are here to right. regulate minerals, et cetera. That's another right. discussion altogether with, with windmills and all of that, which I yep. support, but I want to yeah, also same. make sure that uh, uh, as as long as we have a hydrocarbon industry, as long as we yes, have sir. a mineral industry, the person heading the department to ensure our safety is actually is on the job. So That's here, here is the, the most. So, so let me ask. Go ahead. Let me ask one. Let me just throw one other thing. So one of the things that people often don't understand here either is that the Texas Rare Commission is the ultimate authority on environmental control. The EPA has an MOU, a modus of a memorandum of understanding that basically secedes the vast majority of its power as a federal administration to the Texas Rural Commission. The Texas Rural Commission literally is the agency that manages the environmental standards in the state of Texas, with the exception of the, the Texas uh, TCEQ, right. which is our, uh, our commission to the quality of um, environmental measures. So TCEQ is our department that is supposed to maintain groundwater protection, air monitoring, and things like that. And it's also one of the most grossly underfunded agencies in the state of Texas. So ultimately, at the end of the day, the only in this and especially in this case in Crane County that occurred outside of Fort Stockton, uh, what's really interesting is that when TCEQ should be in right now drilling monitoring wells and measuring the groundwater and looking at the aerial extent of how big is the problem and where's the outer flanks of it and what can they do potentially to start to put warnings or put <laughs> put processes in place to try to help homeowners and ranchers. You know what their answer was? We don't want to deal with this problem. We don't have the budget. We don't have the funding. Our commission can take care of it. That is irresponsible, and that's not an acceptable answer. So let's go back to the politics again, Bill, because this is very important. My contention is that Democrats are very poor fighters. That Democrats, uh, in as much as they have the better policies, like you presented right here, they don't know how to fight us. An example is that we have we have denied uh, Texans. Uh, health insurance that is available to them by the, by not accepting Medicare, uh, the Medicare expansion to the Affordable Care Act. And in doing so, I think the reason that it's been successful for Republicans to do this so far is that they have not been prop appropriately called out. They have not been called out for actually getting Texans killed. I'm going to throw this right back to you now. When you start your campaign in the general election here in Texas, will you let it be known graphically that what the current administration, the current railroad commission is doing is actually affecting the deaths of Texans, the illnesses yes. of Texans graphically and let them know that it's existential that you be elected and not the person who cares nothing about solving the problem. Is that the bill? Uh, <laughs> is that the bill Birch that we're going to see on the campaign trail? Yes, sir. And you know, one of the things about being out in West Texas and having spent spent time out there in you know, East Texas, South Texas, uh, um, the reality is that some of the conditions in West Texas are the worst I've ever seen in the world. I, I did a blowout in the Nigeria Delta in the summer of 2022. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, the conditions in, in West Texas are as bad or if not worse than I saw in Nigeria. 
out of sight. And that, out of sight, out of mind. And this mm-hmm. idea, if this was happening in downtown Houston, um, this would be a totally different discussion, right? If this was happening in Tanglewood, River Oaks, this would long have been fixed. Okay. The problem with the Railroad Commission and a lot of our rural communities, especially our marginalized communities, is that the Texas Railroad Commission doesn't really give a damn. Now, here's, here's what was really interesting about the situation in West Texas. So, look, there's a big difference between somebody who's a rancher and a farmer. Okay. Ranchers are typically Republicans. Ranchers are typically huge battle tracks. They're, they're, they don't own eight acres. They own sections. Right. Right. And when you start talking about sections of ownership and it's like multiple counties of ownership, you go like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're not just a farmer. Um, you know, they're getting ignored. They, they, there are fights in South Texas. There are longstanding lawsuits in South Texas. There's fights in West Texas. There are some cattle ranchers in West Texas that own hundreds of thousands of acres literally with hundreds of wells on their property, leaking, flowing into their groundwater, uh, dead cattle, sick cattle, um, you know, dead birds, environmental issues that surface with hydrogen sulfide, which is a fatal lethal gas um, and literally flowing at surface. And they can't get any response from the Texas Railroad Commission. The idea that literally the Texas Railroad Commission is completely a captive agency to a certain scale of operators, depending on their financial contributions to their political campaigns, it, it doesn't even serve the ranchers. So I tell folks, you know, like I, I'm not taking PAC money. I haven't received any. I'm not actively soliciting it. My first campaign contribution came from a Republican West Texas rancher. Who's so fed up the fact that the Railroad Commission as a Republican doesn't even respect him. He's like, here's a check. I do it your best. I'll do anything I can do to support you to help get you elected. I'm sick of these idiots in Austin. The, the, the idea, I think, in the success in this situation is that the environmental concern from everybody isn't just, you know, it, it, if you imagine you have two acres in East Texas and you've got an abandoned orphan well on your property, you know, what's that risk? Is the Royal Commission going to give a damn about you realistically when these guys out here in West Texas that are worth millions can't get any response from them either? It's it's really an agency that has failed every single Texan and even its fundamental principle, which was protection of the groundwater. And now literally we've got we've got destroyed groundwater. Um, That's it's amazing. it's hard. It's a hard to get people's heads wrapped around the importance of the Texas Railroad Commission because they say it's all oh, it's a down ballot race, uh, manages railroads. It's like, folks, you need to understand the future well, of Texas. <laughs> it really depends on this race. Bill, and that is the reason I'm saying, are you going to go out there and let people know that it is existential? That is, I mean, yes, I, I think that is one of the problems that we have as Democrats. And that is uh, Democrats don't go out there and fight the way they should. Uh, and and I, I, you know, hey, you know, all the material I'm listening to you right now, you know, the you know, the surface, you know, the what's going on, the layer, the, the earth layer and everything. Most Americans don't know that most Texans don't know that, but it can right. be expressed to them in a in a manner that they can understand that they should care about that. And I think you will do that. Uh, last question is, what would you have liked sure. me to ask you that I didn't ask you? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, well, I think the probably the biggest thing would be to understand uh, the size of the Railroad Commission. So I don't think people appreciate the fact that there's less than 100 Railroad uh, Commission inspectors to manage 400 plus drilling rigs, 1.2 million oil and gas wells that have been drilled, another two to 300, 400,000 wells. We don't know where they are and where they exist and 330,000 miles of pipeline. 
Wow. The agency doesn't even have something as simple as two regulators per county. Now, this is a good trick question for you. Okay. What's the only county in the state of Texas that doesn't have oil and gas wells? Don't know. There's only one. Which one? El Paso. Are you El Paso? El Paso? El Paso has never had an oil and gas well that we've ever been able to prove or find in the archives. Wow. That's to say that maybe that maybe has one been drilled, but there's we actually have never found a record of any oil and gas well ever drilled in El Paso. County. Wow. <clears throat> it's only one. 253 of the 254 counties in the state of Texas have oil and gas wells. We have somewhere around 1.5 million wells, including the Corpus Christi area. We, unlike the nuclear fuel rod industry, our problems every century double. 50% of the wells we have surveyed over 25 years old are in a state of failure and flowing. And 80% of the wells over 50 years old are currently in a state of fail and flowing. This problem isn't just about solving it for today and out of sight, out of mind. The Railroad Commission loves commenting about how, look, we built a shopping mall over top of these old abandoned wells. Great. I can't wait to have to get a drilling rig into that shopping mall and figure out where that well is and re-enter it. Oh, wow. And the worst part is that we're building subdivisions now. The Friendswood subdivision outside of Houston is an old oil and gas field. It was a contaminated oil and gas field with abandoned wells on it. And we've built homes over top of it. So, you know, when you tell people what's the risk, the risk is the fact that you don't even know in your deed that there's an oil and gas well that literally sits under your house. And now you've got the risk until, and unfortunately, until we see it at surface. So by the time it actually has migrated through your groundwater, it's leaked natural gas or oil to surface. We don't know that the problem exists. Wow. So this problem isn't about solving it even for just for today. This is about how we're going to set up a process to manage this for 500 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years. These are holes in the ground we're going to have to monitor, maintain, and manage for millennium. And the problem in our industry is that this whole notion, out of sight, out of mind, cut off the wellhead six feet below ground, backfill it with a bunch of dirt, and walk away from it. You never have to worry about it again was a lie. It was a fundamental lie by the oil and gas industry. And even I, as a professional, for the first half of my career, believed it. I was like, yeah, well, the well's plugged. Like, what's ever going to cause it to come back to life? But in 21, in, in June of 2021, when we saw the first zombie wells, my entire perception changed. And now that I see the impact of what this really looks like for my daughter and my grandkids and my great grandkids, this is a toxic legacy that we are going to have to double check and triple check and continue to monitor and make sure that these wells aren't leaking methane. These wells aren't flowing into the groundwater, that these, these wells aren't a long-term risk. This is a massive massive problem. And Texas is the epicenter literally of ground zero of where we're at in this industry. And, and to put this in a number perspective, this is probably a half a trillion dollars already of liability. So when folks say like, who's going to pay for it? Well, that's us. At the end of the day, this privatized profiteering for socialized cleanup cost is going to be passed to the taxpayer. Unless we may find ways to be able to keep the industry in its, in, working condition and continue to pay for the legacy. Otherwise, this is going to get passed all to us to clean up the toxic legacy of oil and gas. And that's how, an unfortunate reality of where we really exist today. How can uh, our audience find your website? It's Birch, B-U-R-C-H, for the number four, T-R-R-C.com. Uh, you can also get me on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok, 
I struggle a little bit with TikTok, to be perfectly honest. Instagram. Um, I got told the other day, you got Facebook, oh, you're old. I'm like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to die. Um, and I am LinkedIn as well. If you're more on the professional side, the conversations are a lot more technical on LinkedIn. But uh, I, I seriously, I, I, you know, I am committed to this. This is about educating the Texas public of the real risk. I'm a real oil and gas guy. I've seen what politics has done to our industry. And my biggest concern is the legacy we're leaving, how we need to address it. It's not about removing the industry. This is about doing a better job in the industry. And uh, the oil and gas community knows that we need to do better. We know we can do better. And uh, it starts with having a regulatory agency that actually enforces the rules. We don't need to change the rules. We just need to enforce them now and see and confirm are our rules sufficient once we've actually got enforcement. Bill Birch for Texas Railroad Commissioner. Thank you so kindly for having been. Thank you, sir. Right. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invite. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, help teach and educate your audience about the Texas Railroad Commission. Remember, it's number four on your ballot um, because it'll be the president. It'll be the U.S. Senate race. It'll be your local 38 congressional districts race. And Texas Railroad Commission is the only executive branch race in the state of Texas in 2024. And legitimately, folks, this is the race that's going to decide the future of the long term state of Texas. We're either going to have a happy and a joyous and prosperous society with good environmental standards, or we're going to turn the state into a toxic Superfund site. This is the race that's going to determine that. That's how critically this is to everybody. Let me tell you, folks, I learned so much from that interview. There are things I didn't know occurring in oil wells. And, you know, um, uh, off off the um, after the camera, we, we stayed on online talking for quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I, I started to get more information as far as, well, wait a minute. This this stuff, a lot of people would say it's occurring in West Texas or or, or, or other places. But there are issues that will affect us here in Houston. After all, the the uh, San Jack River, the Trinity River and all these other close by rivers have their genesis in many parts of northeast Texas, south and uh, north northwest Texas. I mean, they, they are all interconnected. And in somehow that groundwater will reach us uh, polluted with radioactive water salty brine uh, the the whole thing eventually will get to us all we're talking about the entire water system not just of texas but of adjacent states affecting us all that is the reason you need regulation regulation doesn't have a party denomination of republican or Democrat, but right now in our state, and for all those that are constantly preaching no to regulation, no to regulation, this is the kind of things that happen. And remember, when you pollute your groundwater, that wherever your groundwater is polluted, there ain't no comeback. There's no cleaning up of groundwater. Because the way water is stored, it, I'm not talking about, let's say, water in caves, but I'm talking about groundwater, which is stored within the interstitials in rock and, 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 and uh, porous material. Uh, interstitials, meaning spaces in between. This is serious stuff. Uh, we have over a million wells in Texas, over a million wells, many of them defunct or most of them defunct, that are spilling stuff that we don't know about throughout the state. 
713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. I am taking calls now. Uh, I have an, uh, There are two subjects that we, we intended to uh, cover today. Uh, the first subject was this one with Bill Birch and the Railroad Commission. And the second subject has to do with uh, uh, did stock buybacks actually or is actually responsible for knocking that door off of that uh, 737 uh, nine, uh, 9 plane. We're going to talk about what, uh, what that a little bit if we get no, no calls on this issue. 713-526-5738. I will repeat 713-526-5738. Let me hear from you. Alistair, come on in. Hey, good morning, brother. Good morning. Good morning, sis. Wow. <laughs> that that interview was huge, brother. That, uh, that yeah. Not uh, not striking fear in my heart because fear leads to paralysis. But we need action. We yeah, uh, uh, need you action. know, it's it's and it's I such a long time talking about Go ahead. Uh oh. Alistair, we got a uh, Alistair. I'm sorry for that. We called back Alistair. We'll put you in the, ahead of the queue as soon as you call back. We had a little mishap here. So, Alistair, if you're listening to us on the radio, give us a call back. If you're listening to us on the internet, give us a call back, Alistair. Sorry about that. I think that's Alistair who's calling back. Let's get Alistair in the front of the queue so that we can get to her right away. Sorry about that, Alistair. Uh, let's see. Let's see. You're going to be on in a second, my sister, Alistair. Let's get you back on. All right. Um, Alistair, sorry about that. Anyway, folks, um, that was an important interview. Continue, Alistair. Sorry about that. Hey, no worries. Like I was saying that, you know, fear strikes, per, or, you know, when you're struck with fear, that leads to paralysis. I do appreciate how he was saying, you know, the industry is he's not looking to shut down the industry, but to hold people to account because of the legacy that this is going to leave future generations of Texans. And as Texans, I know that Tex that these are proud people of the hard work and and you know but when when our grandchildren and great grandchildren and so on look back and like proud work of what killing ourselves and leaving nothing for us, and there's gonna be no bootstraps for them to pick themselves up by. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> Alistair. Well, look, uh, I'm glad that you you, you enjoyed the interview. Uh, I am going to be posting this video all over. Make sure if you have friends, make sure that they I see this. I to share the heck out of it. Yeah. Right. So please share this because it's it's very important that we do this. Thank you for calling in, sis. We'll talk later. Um, let's go to Joni. Come on in, Joni. How are you doing this morning? Hi. Good morning. Um, did uh, did your guest talk about fracking? Uh, and I, I got in late. Um, in regulating fracking. No, he and, didn't and talk about. No, no, he didn't talk specifically about fracking, but the regulations that he's talking about enforcing, etc., does include fracking. I mean, 
let me tell you where I didn't want to take this, the discussion. If you notice when he started to talk about uh, wind energy and all the green energy and so forth, I didn't for the railroad commissioner. I didn't want to get into that part of the discussion because I want my railroad commissioner doing his job as far as regulating an industry that's going to be with us for a long time, even as we ramp up to green energy. I want that regulated so that it'll do the least harm possible to our environment. So I didn't want to get conflated into two different discussions uh, with regards to uh, I, I wanted to split it where it needed to be split. So uh, but he right. is okay. he, he is cognizant of the fracking issue. And what in fact, a lot of the injection wells are dumped. Uh, the fracking liquid is dumped into these injection wells that we're talking about. Go ahead, Joni. If he really wants to regulate, like he says he does, then he will give the power of, um, of regulation back to the local economy, local governments, where they just, you know, the, the, the big government, you know, haters that say they hate big government, decided that they're not going to let local um, municipalities and, and uh, cities and counties regulate their own um whether or not someone is allowed to frack in their areas. Um, so first, I take issue with that. And I also take issue with his um, saying that the oil and gas industry didn't do this intentionally. No, they didn't say, well, let's, our goal is to, to ruin the environment, but they did intentionally mislead the public for, for now, you know, decades over and over again about what their, uh, their, policies and the way they go do their business actually affects the environment. They did intentionally mislead. So they Joni, might, you know, it's direct Joni, that's the one part of the interview where I failed. And let me tell you, because after I re-listened to the interview, I know, I know this guy's heart and I know that's not what he meant. I know that he, what he, what he, what, what he meant to say is uh, oil, oil companies are a business entity. They, their, their fiduciary responsibility is to their shareholders. It is a regulatory agency that gives them humanity, that makes sure they don't do wrong. Okay. So, um, okay. Uh, so, I mean, I, I get, I should, I should, that, that did trigger me when I was cutting the video. I left it in there because I am glad that you, you brought that up. It's a part of the interview which I should have explored. I will have him on, him on again, and we will explore that. But you're absolutely right, Joni, that that uh, it's uh, what what oil companies do are intentional. Go ahead, Joni. Oh no, I'm done. I said thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up now. I'm at a, at an intersection. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Joni. You have a great day. All right, let's jump to Johnny. Come on in, Johnny. Okay, can you hear me? First of all, yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's a 46-acre track of land in Lamarck, mm -hmm. about a mile west of I-45, on uh, just south of 519. And uh, in this track of land, they're proposing to build a subdivision of homes. I think, according to what I'm looking at, 126 homes in a 46-acre track of land. Approximately 60% of that land will be for these homes, and, 40, and the balance of 40% south of that uh, new subdivision, proposed subdivision, leading up to Highland Bayou will be uh, for so-called undeveloped or park space, or they're thinking about maybe a golf course. 
this same tract of land is the site of, guess what? Oil wells. An oil well that has been decommissioned a long time ago. And I thought it was a state or federal law that prohibits residential properties from being developed in places where an act where an oil well has been deactivated. Do you know if that's still true? And also, what about environmental impact statements? Are they not required in such cases? And would that not the actual performance of an environmental impact statement squash the desire of a developer to well, as build on land? He didn't answer that directly. But he did speak about Friendswood here in the Houston area, built on top of an oil field. He did speak about, uh, he, he, so I mean, uh, the, the fact that this exists means uh, either regulations are not being followed or there aren't regulations. And that is something he intends on, on, on taking care of. Notice what he said about all these wells six feet under the ground. They thought capping it there and doing whatever they wanted to do on top of it would be okay. He also said that, of wells that are over 50 years old, 80% of them are flowing. So if you are living on territory on top of an old oil field where there are plugged wells, likely there will be seepage not only in your groundwater, but in the substrate. In, and in fact, your yard uh, will probably in the long run have some sort of a pollution unless we really take this issue seriously and start mitigating it. So uh, that's your answer, Johnny. And I think he was plain spoken about that. And it is sad because, as Alistair said when she called in, uh, she's not going to, while it's, it should, it, it'll get a lot of people fearful, she will not be fearful. She'll be, act, she'll act, make it an action item. Go ahead, Johnny. And then I got to go to Donald. Okay, so here's my last question. If the Railroad Commission has nothing to do with railroads, then what government agency does in the state? Of TX dot, TX dot, TX, he said it, TX dot. <laughs> TX dot handles railroads. I mean, yeah, it's amazing you know, how it's right, all. Your, your red light, the first red light is when they misname an agency on purpose. That's That tells you right, right away we're going to have trouble. Right. Well, thank you, Johnny. I appreciate your call. Talk to you tomorrow. Let's go to uh, mayor. That was the mayor of politics and right. Let's go to Donald. Come on in, Donald. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Alberto. I know you can't be chummy with me, so we'll keep it factual. That guy right there is a redneck, and I'm glad to see because you, your listeners, whatever, they never ask me how I vote. I don't vote a straight ticket. And that mm -hmm. man right there has got my votes because I'm from oil and gas, and right. I'm not anymore because i got black balls. But what he's mm -hmm. saying, the leaching and everything else is a fact. You mm -hmm. have lava that comes up from the ground. Jed Clampett was shooting at some food, and up from the ground come a bubbling crude. It's <laughs> all around us. But they can actually, there is a lot of, with the, uh, it's all pressure. And when you hydrojet and you do the deep wells and you are, shit, I, I'm losing my thought right now. But they're just, there's byproducts that come from everything. And the way he's approaching it and the way you're approaching it, you got to get elected first. You can't go for this free-for-all, crazy, all at once. You're going to turn the people off. Because even Republicans know, because the sour gas, when we're cutting down through the valley and it comes up through our air condition systems, when we're out in West Texas or anywhere else they're drilling, we know the risk. 
And like I said, with the contaminants that come up from those wells on the drill stems, the fluids, everything else is bad stuff. And it all leaches back in the ground, comes down your water system, and Houston's going to get it because Lake Livingston with the Chris Oak treatments and the right the, uh, and all arsenic, it's all coming our way down right. south. Donald, so, I got to go, but Donald, I got to go, but sure. I appreciate. Yeah, no, go I, ahead. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your thoughts. Let's talk tomorrow. Let's get our last call. Come on in real quick, Brian. We only have about a minute. Okay, I didn't, I didn't hear you head on, so uh, I, I got in late. Uh, but someone needs to look at Galveston Bay system. Uh, how many oil wells they had up and down mm -hmm. Texas City. Uh, you should just look at the pictures back from when oil was first explored. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian, that that's what he's doing, Brian. And he, he, he told me a story offline where he just stopped off of 59 at an old oil well that he saw sticking out of the ground with a pressure gauge. And the pressure gauge was about uh, explosion, clear, close to explosion pressure, 800 PSI. And he said, you know how many of that we have all around Texas. So there you go, Brian. Uh, and he is on. He is saying, I've, I'm seeing this with my own eyes. So there's a whole lot more to come. Anything else, Brian, before we go? No, that's it. Bye. Thank you, brother. Peace. Anyhow, I'm going to throw this right back to the studio before we end the show today. Uh, please do remember, of course, uh, the other subjects that we were covering today, we didn't cover it, of course, because you come first. Uh, go to politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter. Politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter. Studio, it's all yours. During the 90s, there was a big movement over at Kennedy Heights, just off of Sunnyside. That mm -hmm. they were built on top of a toxic waste dump that uh, the Gulf Oil Company had. They showed pictures of the from the 40s and 30s and 30s and 40s, where huge tracts of land were filled with nothing but oil, open open air. They weren't in tanks. So wow. I don't know what became of that, but this uh, building of subdivisions on top of old oil wells—that's nothing new. That's mm -hmm. been going on for a long time. I would be very very concerned about that. And that's right. about all I got. Jack, what you got? You know, well, I mean, I understand uh, the water business more than the uh, gas business because I've worked in it all my life. But I don't see why petrochemicals sh shouldn't be allowed in our water. Just period. All right, folks, uh, we, we'll talk about that. They right. don't taste good. <laughs> all right. Anyway, folks, thank you all, listeners, callers, our studio, Jack and Howard. Love you guys. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.